Hi, welcome back to another episode of Rick's Random Ramblings. I'm your host, Rick, and this is uh, Season 2, Episode 6. I've lost count of the episodes, uh, uh, funnily enough, as it uh, tends to happen uh, with myself. So, Episode 7. Sorry. I um, This is Episode 7. Wow, look at that. We're already seven episodes deep. And... um. Yeah, the date today is uh, December 29th, 2022. Uh, the last episode just came out not even a few days ago. And here I am recording to meet uh, Saturday's deadline. Saturday's going to be New Year's Eve. And I'm not ready for it at all. Because um, I have a buttload of, uh, of paperwork to do. But in the meantime, I got plenty of X-Men uh, reading done. My dad will tell you guys that I don't read comics, and he's he's not half wrong. I don't read most comics. I kind of just keep on rereading the same old stories that I read when I was a kid. For whatever reason, I, I really do like them. I can't get enough of them. The art, the writing, the the visuals, the nostalgia, everything about them is just so great, and I just can't help myself. Not that I don't read um newer books and whatnot but i just i know i can't help it sorry pops i, I can't help it i just really love i really love these older books the silver and bronze age baby inject it into my veins i could read them all day every day and that's basically what i do uh, and that's that's about us yeah my week hasn't really changed all that much just preparing for a, a trip i'm going to make not too far away i have a magic the gathering uh tournament coming up and I've been preparing for it, putting my deck list together, getting all my plans ready. It's only a, it's only a 45 minute drive. It's going to be right here in Jersey up north. So it's not going to be anything outrageous like the last uh, two times. My dog's at my side as always and my brother's outside tapping on something. You guys can probably hear my dog uh, scratching his ear because this mic picks up everything so actually kind of outrageous i didn't realize uh how much it picked up until i was uh, reviewing one of my older episodes and ooh, you can hear everything the knocks on the door the dog um scratching his ear snoring wherever else that may case may be me even tapping my feet on the floor it's outrageous but kind of funny so oh there he goes again anyways so i've been preparing for this magic tournament uh I'm, you guys can probably find me there if you guys are attending you guys like magic and whatever else uh, it's three day weekend friday saturday sunday we're going to be doing uh, some practice games on friday uh, and then a uh, big modern 20k tournament i'm pretty excited my record last time was uh three four and one so i had uh, three wins four losses and one uh buy round so i guess that technically counts as a win rate so i'm at 50 percent win rate it's not it's actually not that bad for um just my was it my second or third tournament so not bad i'm pretty happy with uh what that was the results even though i was told by various sources uh that my deck would not be doing so well because of the just the way the tier list is and everything else, you know, you got all these other decks coming in at you, but yeah, guys, sorry guys, we turned into a match of the gathering podcast. I apologize, but I've been, I've been jamming. I've been uh, theory crafting, building my decks, testing everything. We're pretty much good to go. There's like two more cards that I might need to fill my deck, but they're like $40 a piece. And I, I don't know if I want to waste 80 bucks on two pieces of cardboard, but I've blow I've blown my money on worse things, right? So who knows? I'll let you guys know how that goes. That's in uh, two weeks from uh yeah, two weeks from today. Two weeks from now I'll be jamming some games and um pro- potentially getting my butt kicked. It, it depends. Uh, the my primary deck of choice is Esper Reanimator. Uh, just because I I like I like the colors of Esper, uh, for one, which is probably not a good sign. Uh, when you're picking your own deck, you should probably pick a deck based off of how good the, the results are. And, uh, how resilient the deck is and the different axes it attacks and everything else. But I kind of just pick them because they're my three favorite colors. And I like reanimating big fatty creatures and putting it back on the battlefield. But that's just me. Uh, I played control like i mentioned before but now i'm just kind of leaning towards uh reanimator so that's what i'm gonna be playing uh my deck list is pretty fine-tuned kind of not really but you know 
don't know. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so long as I can dodge Blood Moon, which is a card that shuts down all non-basic lands, that should be fine. And so long as I uh, kind of dodge Graveyard Hate. Dodging Graveyard Hate in this day and age in Match of the Gathering is kind of impossible because you're almost every card interacts with the graveyard, it seems like, or has like a little line of text that says that, you know, exile a card from a graveyard. And my deck's three colors, so it's really weak to Blood Moon. Uh, and I'm only playing like 22, 23 lands, so we'll see how this thing goes. But yeah, so that's what I've been preparing for. I'm pretty excited. My Megatron card finally came in, so you can bet your butts that there's going to be Commander deck themed all around Megatron. I'm probably not going to do the Octopus Prime deck, and I'm probably not going to do the Sound uh, Wave deck, but the Megatron deck will be built. Know this. So that's probably what I'm going to be working on. There will be an episode. Uh, I'll pre-record it and then release it. I'll have it scheduled to be released on the Saturday that I'm away, so that way we stay consistent with the schedule. I know I missed a week or two because I was sick and, you know, holiday season and all this. So my goal is to stay consistent uh, every week or at least every two weeks to have an episode already pre-recorded and then, you know, sent out so you guys can hear. So those are some of my goals. Uh, still trying to update the website, as always. That's like 90% of what I do in my free time when I'm not, you know, reading or writing or whatever else have you drawing and stuff like that. So. We'll see how this thing goes. I'm pretty excited. Just saw awesome things coming uh, just in general. Um, learning how to build a website is really awesome. Learning the process. And uh, I was always told by my dad, if you uh, enjoy, the, if you enjoy the, po the process and you love it, you will just, it, it will come easy and everything else will just, you'll love it even more. So I love the process of creating the podcast. I love the process of building a website and, you know, working on the comment thing on the side. So you know, it's just, it's, we're chilling, man. Uh, life is great. Life is good, right? So this episode is mostly going to be about Uncanny X-Men number uh, 105 and 106. Two of my, not really my favorite issues, but there are some things in these issues that I really do love and I can't wait to get into them. So I'm going to take a quick break, uh, trying to keep this as short as possible. Last episode was just a little bit over an hour, and I was really happy with it. It was like an hour and five minutes, something like that, after the intros and you know transitions and everything. So I'm gonna try to keep that that uh, trend going because I don't want episodes to be so long that people just kind of fall asleep. So let's try to keep it short and sweet, guys. Right? I'll keep you guys. I know we all have tiny attention spans. I know I definitely do. I lose myself mid rant, even as I'm reading from a script for crying out loud. So you guys already know. Like I, I know how it is, guys. I know how it is. So I'll be right back, take a quick break, and then we come back. We're diving real deep into Uncanny X-Men number 105. Don't go anywhere. Okay, we're back. So Uncanny X-Men issue 105. Um, it's an interesting book, to say the least. And it, yeah, it's an interesting book. Um this is one of the first issue. I think this is the first issue um, since the beginning of the new run that Sam Grainer is not on inks. In this issue, we have uh, Bob Layton, the famous Iron Man artist. Most of you guys probably know him uh, from Iron Man. At least, that's, personally, that's what I know him from. He drew Iron Man and sometimes inked him mostly in the late 70s, early 80s, and then came back for one more run in the late 80s. He's a uh, he's pretty much the quintessential Iron Man artist. Uh, it, it, to some, uh, I was just think of George Tuska, Gene Colan, etc., Jack Kirby, you know, those kind of guys. But to some, the whole generation, Bob Layton is the man, and I I do agree. He he is in fact the man. He didn't draw my favorite Iron Man, but he's definitely up there. Like, yeah, I'm not much of an Iron Man fan, so take that with a grain of salt. But his inks are fantastic. I don't know if they're better than Sam Grainer. However, they are fantastic. Um, his lines in this book are smooth, and they complement uh, Dave Crockroom's pencils. Fantastic. 
by the way, Dave Crockham did pencil this issue. And of course, Chris Claremont wrote it. And Archie Goodwin is back on the editing. Uh, so it, it's this book looks amazing. Uh, there's no doubt about it. The, the pencils are fantastic. You guys already know how I feel about Dave Crockroom. I'm not going to go into it again, but I probably will later on it during the wrap-up. He's fantastic. There's no question about it. So that's our lineup for the interiors and the writing. And this book is titled Phoenix Unleashed. On the front cover, we have none other than Fire Lord, who first appeared in a, a Thor book of all places. He's a formal, uh, for, former Herald of Galactus, who is now basically doing the whole Silver Surfer uh, space, you know, rider the spaceways type, type, type of deal, where he's just kind of hanging out. And um, yeah, he's got massive cosmic powers, and he's pretty OP. Uh, I first... Um, learned of Fire Lord not from this book but from a miniatures game I used to play when I was a kid called Heroclix. Uh, technically I still play it now. I have a bunch of the pieces that I had when I was a, you know, a teenager and a kid and I bought a few like maybe a year or so ago. There was like a straight two years, like I think it was about two years ago and for like almost a year and a half my brothers and I were on a Heroclix binge. We couldn't stop buying them. It was outrageous. It was like it was like the Cold War, but with hero clicks. Like each one of us was trying to one up the other by trying to build a stronger team. So like it started off like casual, like you know, I'm building the Avengers team. Well, I'm building the Spider-Man family team, or I'm building the Fantastic Four team. To I'm building the brokest team you can possibly think of within 300 points. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, uh, Fire Lord was one of the most OP original hero clicks. Uh, pieces in the first marvel set called infinity challenge and it was um back in the day the way it worked was there was a rookie experience and veteran levels so it was basically like level one level two level three a bit uh essentially um veteran being typically not all the time typically the strongest version of that character and veteran um fire lord was so overpowered he had a range of like 12 squares and mind you, this is on like a, um, I think, I think it was like a 12 by 12, uh, map. It was like a grid. That's how the maps are in hero clicks. It's like 3d miniature. Um, basically chess with superpowers, uh, as it was marketed. It's not, not too far off, but he was broken and he, uh, used to have wasp carry him and then he would shoot you across the map and he dealt so much damage and he was, his attack was like a 13, which is incredibly high. Like the average defense back in like 2002 was like a 15, maybe a 16, but it, it was just insane. So when I first saw him in this book, I was like pooping my pants as a kid because I was like, oh my God, this is the guy that, that gives me nightmares every time I play Hero Clicks. And I remember my uncle, my dad's uh, brother, he was the one who got us into this game and he was just, he used to rock this. Fire Lord Wasp team with, you know, um, I think it was like a Wolverine he used to have just in case someone got close to him because there were some characters back in the day that could like, you know, run across the map and then run all the way back to the to their starting area. It was an outrageous time. Like old school Hero Clicks is nothing like the way Hero Clicks is today. And uh, that's there's some good and bad things about that. But as soon as I look at this, um, this cover, that's the first thing that pops in my mind, like. Like, Fire Lord is not even, like, in the actual book. He's not that overpowered. But because of my experiences with him and Heroclix, every time I look at him, I think, oh, my God, this has got to be the ultimate villain. And in the book, he's he's definitely powerful. Guys, by the way, we're going right into spoilers with this. I'm just letting you guys know right now, okay? He, he is powerful. But in this book... um. The front cover tells us uh, Phoenix alone against the most fearsome foe of all. Now, he's definitely fearsome. He's got this awesome fire staff that's fire on both ends. He's flying. He's got his human torch hair flowing over his head. He's awesome. His character design is fantastic, and his cover is amazing. The X-Men are all on the foreground, all beaten up and battered and defeated, and Phoenix is 
standing her own, trying to fire as many mental bolts at him as as she can, and he's just like flying all in, you know, gutso. It's fantastic. It's a great cover. Uh, notably, Bob Lane did not ink it. I can't remember the name of the guy who did ink it. He's hold on, wait, wait. I have my notes right here. Danny Crespi. I, I'm not gonna lie, I don't know that artist. All I know is his inks are fantastic, and um, you guys should check him out. Uh, I'm probably gonna do that after this because I'm kind of curious who he is, but I definitely his name did not ring a bell. So, uh, as as we saw on the cover, the X Men are defeated. Okay, so this this book starts off uh, right out the gate. There's no opening with the X Men landing into you know the X Mansion or them on their way. No, this this issue almost that episode. This issue opens up with the X-Men already attacking Eric the Red. Chris Claremont just skips all the fluff. He just goes right into it. Like, some writers would have been like, oh my god, we gotta go save Professor Xavier as soon as possible. And, you know, to build up the tension. No. Claremont already did that in the last issue. You know, and the last issue with the fantastic Magneto fight scene, mind you. But, he's going right, he's going right in. So, the, in this splash page, the entire X-Men team... Or all bum-rushing Eric the Red. We met Eric the Red a few issues ago. Pretty bad guy. Cyclops used to be called Eric the Red during a really weird Silver Age story. But now Eric the Red's a dude from outer space. And he's come to kill the X-Men. For some reason. Not really explained yet. But he's here to kill the X-Men. The one team of superheroes that can possibly stop his master plan. So, the X-Men bum-rush him. And on page 2 and 3... Double double page spread. Fantastic sequence by the, the master of the craft, Dave Crockrum. It's the X-Men all teaming up together, whooping Eric the Red. Like Colossus bashes him, the Cyclops blasts him with this optic blast. And then we get like right in the middle of the shot. There's a guy, fiery eyes, fiery eyebrows for crying out loud. And he's watching. Now, of course, I know it's Fire Lord, but, you know, five-year-old, seven-year-old me didn't realize who this was. I'm like, who the heck is this guy? Well, okay, well, the Heroclix figure didn't look like this, so, you know, I didn't really know what he looked like in the actual books. But, now I know. So, Wolverine's going in for the kill, right? He's got his claws coming out. You know, he's ready, he's ready to kill this guy. And suddenly, he's blasted by Fire Lord. And then, Dave Crockham does it again. This in this fantastic double play spread, the bottom half is Fire Lord swooping down the X Men, blasting Wolverine right out of the ground. It's outrageous, and then the rest of the X Men are look, looking up in shock, like who the heck is this? That's when Fire Lord spits one of the six verses of 1977. He says, "I'm Galactus's formal herald. He whose power is like unto that of a raging sun. I am Fire Lord." Now. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, that was that was that was really awesome. You know, like little you know, little me was just like, oh my god, who? What is this? Like this is a This is actually amazing. I, I got so hyped when I was when I was reading this as a kid. As an adult, I definitely got hyped. I know I opened up the, opened up this episode and the, closed the last episode with, what kind of meant on it. After reading it, um. I I got I got to disagree with uh me from like you know two days ago. This is a fantastic issue. This is this is amazing. Uh, that opening was just great, and the X Men just basically just got their butt kicked. Like Fire Lord, next page, like page uh four, he just knocks out Cyclops and Colossus with one blast, with a little shack, bam, they're out of the picture. Meanwhile, Nightcrawler thinks he can probably do something to stop him, and it's it's a no-go. Uh, Fire Lord starts taunting him. Banshee catches Nightcrawler to, you know, lighten the, the, the blow. And Storm's like, yeah, I'm going to try to take him out. And Banshee's like, I, I don't know if we can really do that. And they also get knocked out of the fight. So the entire X-Men is defeated within, like, three pages. Like, that that was it. That, that's how powerful Fire Lord is. You know, he's got the power cosmic... Herald the Galactus nonsense that you no know, Marvel loves doing. There's been like 20 heralds at this point in time, most likely. Thor's been one for crying out loud in the latest Thor run. It, it's kind of insane. 
but back in the day this was like huge because we didn't really have all this there was like by this point i think there was about three or four heralds of galactus there was a uh, silver Surfer, terax tamer Airwalker, yeah fire lord so it was like four of them and then that was it that was all of them there was probably like one more introduced in the 80s i believe his name was morg he had like cool looking axe he's pretty awesome but we're not we're not talking about heroes of galactus right here we're talking about fire lord so fire lord blasts him out of the sky and then he meets up with eric the red and they have a little conversation begin discussing what happened in the last few days eric the red's you know he's got these little thought bubbles and he's like yeah i'm totally using this guy i wanted him to think the x-men were trying to take over the earth and i'm just you know it's a casual um what do you call them there's just it's like he's a great guy He's a concerned citizen, so to speak. He was just passing by Earth and found out and got wind that these guys were doing evil. And he's totally lying to him. But Fire Lord's, you know, he's a little naive. So, uh, Fire Lord goes further into how he was attacked by uh, having Polaris. And he took them out. And then he met Eric the Red. And then Eric the Red essentially recruited him to help take down the X-Men. So, by this point in the story, we transition to outer space. Not too far away from Earth. Like right on Earth's atmosphere, you know, probably by the moon, most likely. And this is where, um, this is where little me didn't appreciate this, uh, next two pages because I didn't really realize that it was totally taken right out of Star Trek. Like, Chris Claremont was sitting at home and he was probably drinking his tea, his coffee, you know, whatever. It was like, what if I put Star Trek and X Men? I know he's totally a Trekkie, he's gotta be because. Uh, panel three on page uh, seven, there's a whole, there's legit a Star Trek scene. You have knockoff Captain Kirk sitting in the center with Chekhov and Spock sitting to his, uh, to his right. Then you have uh, Amora and that's definitely Scotty or someone. Uh, and they're just hanging out with well, Sulu. I'm sorry, not Scotty. Scotty doesn't work in the, in the bridge. My bad. Sorry, guys. Sorry. It's been a while. I've been watching Star Trek in a long time. And they're just hanging out, and they're hunting Leandra, this uh, princess that uh, Professor Xavier has been seeing visions of. And they're like, we got to scan the planet Earth because that's where she's landed. So let's go find out uh, what exactly it, it is about this planet that makes it so special. So uh, Lieutenant O'Hara, the knockoff one, says that they fought off Galactus four times. So knockoff Captain Kirk loses his mind because he can't possibly believe that the planet earth is called primitive by their scanners but they defeated or drove back galactus four times so he orders his fleet to fly away and then ponder the next move so meanwhile uh, leandra beams herself down to earth just as professor xavier jean gray her parents and her roommate misty knight from um, luke cage and the iron fist books We'll probably get to them a little bit later, but Missy Knight's awesome. She's got an afro. She's got her little uh, pink blouse. She's got her uh, purple, uh, actually, I don't really know. It's one of purple pants. Just totally 70s, late 60s kind of nonsense. It's great. I love her outfit. And then Jean's got her like her white blouse with her silly looking skirt. It's like light blue with like a little design on them. Dave Crockham does a fantastic job at this. Just this last panel right here. It's just, it's just great, man. It's fantastic. So they're hanging out. They're talking about how they got this room and everything and how they got the apartment. You know, the nonsense um, small talk you do with parents that you don't really care about or really like. That's probably a little harsh on Jean Grey. Like, we definitely know she's not that kind of girl. But she uh, she's keeping some secrets from her family. Her parents definitely don't know that she's secretly Marvel girl, you know, uh, superhero, mutant, etc. They think she just went to uh, Professor Xavier's school for the gifted to get like a college degree or something. So they don't really know her actual uh, history or who she really is. As far as they know, she's just a regular girl going to college. So suddenly, Leandra pops in right in the middle of them talking and she passes out and Professor Xavier is having like a anxiety attacks. They can't believe this is actually real. So before anyone can really react, uh, 
Philor comes busting right through their door. Their their wall, rather. And he challenges Professor Xavier and says to come with me because I'm going to kill you. And then and suddenly Jean Grey turns into Phoenix and just whoops him. She blasts him right out, right back out of the apartment. She's like, you dare challenge me? So then they have their little smack talk. And then Jean blasts him right into uh, Dave Crockrum and uh, Chris Claremont. who are sitting down having like a picnic dash uh, business meeting right some for some reason right in the middle of the street and chris claremont says anyway dave he hits the ground with this incredible sound effect and then suddenly we get a foom as a fire lord crashes into the middle of the street <coughs> pardon me so as that happens um dave crockrum is running away with his friend and Chris Claremont suddenly goes, and Dave, aren't you listening, Dave? And he's like, uh, Dave Crockham, that is. He says, Chris, do us a favor and shut up and run. And they begin running away. So I, I love it when uh, writers do that. I can't really tell you why. I, I just think it's really funny. Probably because Dave Crockham draws himself so well. Like, looking at that picture of Dave Crockham, it looks just like him. It's kind of crazy because... um. I don't know. It's, I it, it just to me it's just really funny. There's like there's no real there's no real reason for a writer to put that in. It kind of gives you a bit of a giggle during a very serious scene. You know, like it kind of makes me laugh. So like people people like knock on the MCU movies because there's like little one liners and silly jokes right in the middle of the universe getting destroyed. But right here we have evidence. It totally happens in the books. Maybe maybe not as, as much as the movies make it seem, but it definitely does happen. Like we're in a we're in a scene where Jean Grey is fighting to protect uh alien princess from outer space and her mentor from this intergalactic alien hellbent on killing them. And she blasts him against the wall and then the two creators of the book are sitting down having lunch in the middle of the street as they're talking about that very book they're working on. That, that's hilarious to me. Like, I don't know. Some people are kind of weird. Twitter, Twitter, comic book Twitter is outrageous. You'll find so many crazy takes, but anyways. The fight goes on and the, uh, the Eric the Red appears and it looks like Jean Grace finally been defeated. So Eric the Red takes uh, Leandra and he takes her right through a portal. The X-Men are too late to really save her, unfortunately. And Fresh Xavier starts yelling and screaming at them. Uh, but not before he tells Phoenix to come back and leave Fire Lord alone and come and try to save Leandra. Where we get interesting thing about the Phoenix right here. She says that um, she had the incredible urge to ignore Professor Xavier and go to to kill Fire Lord. That's something that's never really crossed uh, Jean Grey's mind, uh, killing someone. That's totally out of character for her. And we're going to see as that how that progresses all the way to Uncanny X-Men number 134. Where if you guys know, that's a... I don't really want to get into it. it it's a fantastic story, so we're definitely going to go over it. But keep that in mind. So the Professor Xavier kind of ignores Jean's parents, you know, plea for uh, an explanation to what the heck's going on. Like three aliens just attacked them and their daughter has just turned into a uh, a cosmic powered being. Like Jean Grey was able to keep up with Fire Lord. Think about that. Remember earlier we were talking about uh, here in Hero Collects, he was the boogeyman. Okay. And in the books, he's not so much the boogeyman that I made him out to be. Where I thought he was. However, he's still a herald of Galactus. Remember, the Fantastic Four could barely take on Silver Surfer in his first appearance and some subsequent appearances after him, where they, you know, they they little a little battle, nothing like serious. But Gene managed to keep up with the Herald of Galactus, someone who's cosmically powered by uh, Galactus. Think about that. That's that's like huge. <coughs> Excuse me. 
My throat's so dry right now. Uh, and to me, that's that's actually kind of crazy. So Cyclops is, is thinking about this. It's like Cyclops realizes it. Maybe the other X-Men also realize it, but maybe they don't know Jean well enough to really know her actual power level and where she really stands. But we get a nice little thought bubble about uh, what Cyclops thinks. So I'm going to read it to you guys. He says, my God, Jean used to be the weakest X-Man. Now she powers an interstellar transporter without batting an eyelash. Because they, Eric the Red plopped down like a little, tra like another Star Trek transporter, basically, and went to the other side of the universe and then shut it off behind him. But Jean Grey just casually like, turns it back on. So Cyclops is just like amazed. Like she kept up with Fire Lord. She repowered this thing. And she's flying around. Jean Grey couldn't fly. She could like repel herself up a little bit, but nothing like outrageous. She could pick people up, but nothing, nothing that special. So Cyclops is so surprised by this, and he's on the way Dave Crockham drew him, he looks a little concerned about it, and he, he has every right to be. So Jean Grey opens it up, and the rest of the X-Men hop through. Professor Xavier tells him that it's, it's incredibly important. So Jean uh, follows right behind him, right through the Kirby crackle of a uh, transporter, and her parents are trying to stop her from going. Suddenly, uh, Fire Lord reappears, and is like he's looking for blood. This guy's really really tight he's not happy and Professor Xavier's like yeah you can go and fight the X-Men later because there's a high chance that the universe won't be around in a few hours unless my X-Men succeed and that's where we get the lovely to be continued up next the beginning of the end so wow that was a lot to really unpack wasn't it like this episode this whole issue is actually kind of crazy well as a kid I didn't really appreciate this as an adult discussing it with you guys, who Jean Grey used to be versus what she's becoming now. Like back in the Silver Age, Jean was practically useless. Um, maybe that might be a little harsh, but you guys remember, uh, for those of you who have seen it, maybe you guys haven't, uh, in the 1990s X-Men the Animated Series, Jean Grey is mostly just going, Scott, help me, Scott. And she was she was always getting knocked out or in some kind of Dansville in distress situation where she was powerless. And to a degree, we can criticize that as much as we want. But in reality, uh, that was her character in the Silver Age. Maybe not in the 90s where she's wearing that 90s costume like in the cartoon, but that was her character. Uh, maybe not at that point, but that, that's who she was. And now we're seeing Jean kind of uh, she's kind of coming together uh she's now probably the strongest x-men most definitely she kept them up fire lord no one none of the other x-men could not even colossus like the guy is covered in metal and steel like you would think he would be able to do something like he only landed like two blows on fire lord on, actually no he didn't land any blows the whole issue he was just running towards the x-men or towards fire lord with the x-men and it's kind of crazy there's uh there's so much great stuff here, and uh, I now coming back to as an adult, I really do love it. Um, just great stuff. That combined with uh, Fire Lord blowing up the um, the hover uh, jet the X Men are on is giving me flashbacks to Uncanny X Men number ninety four, uh, where the X Men's uh, Blackbird gets blown up by Count Nefaria. Like even um, Nightcrawler goes, oh no, not again. So it's kind of like an ongoing gag. The uh, the aircraft the X Men are on getting blown up, and everyone's like, oh right, who we're grabbing? You know, Storm's got Colossal Wolverine, but oh no, who's got Scott and Nightcrawler? And you know, Banshee's like, you know, struggling to pick up uh, Cyclops. So overall, it's a, this is a great issue, guys. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Um. I think that's all I really have for it. Uh, it's just great stuff. Uh, that was June 1st, 1977. I love this book. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting excited. I'm hyped right now. Like, Yeah, that's Uncanny X-Men number 10, uh, 105. Up next is Uncanny X-Men number 106. Um, This 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 book's kind of crazy. So uh, we're going to dive right into that. Right, let's take a quick break. I need something to quench my thirst because I've been ranting for almost half an hour and I'm oof, I'm pooped. So up next, Dark Shroud of the Past, Uncanny X-Men number uh, 106. 
30 cent uh, cover price. Oof, I wish I picked that up off the newsstand, but I wasn't born yet. All right, don't go anywhere, guys. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Um, so, Uncanny X member 106. This episode, uh, not this episode, oh gosh. This issue is a bit unique in that um, both Claremont and Crockroom were not heavily involved in this issue. Um, from all the information I could gather, um, Claremont had something of the other to do, and he was unable to really take a hold of his writing duties. So writer Bill uh, Mantlow wrote the majority of this, of this issue. From what I can uh, guess, I'm assuming Claremont had like an outline of what he wanted, but couldn't really sit down and actually write the script. So, uh, Mr. Mantlow wrote the rest of it, wrote the, the big details. In addition, uh, Bob Brown is also accredited with pencils alongside Dave Crockram. So, it's possible that... Um, that uh, uh, Crockroom was also unavailable, but uh, I couldn't really find anything concrete. I'm guessing just like uh, we spoke about a few episodes ago, what was the last episode we might have spoken about that um, Crockroom was having some problems with meeting his deadlines. He was uh, a bit over on the work, and he he's he's basically going to be leaving Uncanny X Men within like next two issues, unfortunately. Um, his last issue is uh, number 107, unfortunately. Um, and uh, it makes me a little sad, but, you know, unfortunately, that's the way uh, history went. So uh, that's a little side note. Unfortunately, um, Bob Brown, the artist that was covering or assisting Dave Crockroom, he passed away uh, a little bit uh, before this issue came out. So this was this is his last uh, piece of work. He worked on a um, a few of Jack Kirby's uh, characters uh, throughout the years, mostly in the 1950s, and he did some like other stuff that was pretty awesome. Uh, his work is actually very, very good. I don't know if it fits X-Men, but uh, I can't really... Comp- I don't really find any real faults in this. I guess it just bothers me because it's not all Crockroom, because I'm just kind of used to his art. But I really do like his Banshee and his, um, just the way he draws Angel, to be honest, it, it's pretty, um, he's got a lot of energy in his work, so I can at least appreciate that. But, uh, in terms of, like, uh, camera angles, camera angles, so to speak, uh, I call them camera angles in comics, but it leaves a bit to be desired, but overall, he's, he's, he's solid, uh, I can't really find really find too much that I really don't like about his art, but he's great. Uh, I want to try and find some more of his work. Uh, well, probably after I'm done recording this and really um, rereading this issue really helped me appreciate his art a little more. But nevertheless, uh, Tom Sutton is our anchor for today. Joe Rosen is a letterer. And uh, yeah, uh, no bomb laying. I guess last issue was a one and done so he could fill a deadline or guess he needs some extra cash you know how it is being an artist you gotta keep on working otherwise you'll be a starving artist and you, you know I, I totally get that struggle so nevertheless this issue is called a dark shroud of the past so this issue starts off right where last issue uh left us fire lord is uh demanding to know where phoenix is so he kick her butt that's basically it investor xavier tells repeats himself just like he did the last issue that she's halfway across the galaxy trying to save the universe. So, um, Professor Xavier basically begins having like a, uh, a, a mind attack, kind of like a heart attack, but like with his brain because he's a telepath, so it's, it's even worse. It's kind of weird, but uh, he's uh, he has like a like a nightmare during the day. It's it's a really weird thing. Um, it's kind of hard to describe, really, but he's he's in pain. 
and his mind is hurt. So he's dreaming about what happened in the past while still being awake, which is really weird. So this issue is mostly a flashback issue, uh, an untold story, if you will, that takes place at some point after issue number 96. So Thunderbird's death is still pretty fresh in our minds, and it's a um, it's looming over the X Men at this point, and we see that with uh, with this flashback sequence where um, we learn when Professor Xavier called Moira Taggart, and she's there taking care of him, and Professor Xavier keeps on apologizing about how much he hurt her, and apparently they have some kind of history with each other, and. We'll learn more about the history. They do have, uh, they did have a romantic thing going on, but it didn't end very well, and we'll find out why that is. So, stay tuned for that. So, getting right into this, we're back in the danger room, and the X Men are training, and they're not really getting along, really. Um, Colossus saves Wolverine from, uh, from kind of someone at booby trap and Wolverine's upset. So uh, Cyclops tells him to calm down and uh, Wolverine basically uh, says that it's uh, Cyclops's fault that the, um, the thun that Thunderbird's dead and uh, Wolverine's a upset for Cyclops for being all over his back. And Banshee tells him, we just got to relax uh, and we can't always be so rough on each other. And that uh, this team is a lot older than the last team. So we shouldn't be too worried about um, giving each other some tough love. We should just all relax, train as much as we can and trust each other. Cause we're all, they're all, they're all adults and he's right. And Cyclops is apologize. Uh, Cyclops uh, is kind of a rare form. Uh, Cyclops apologizing to Wolverine and Wolverine's like yeah no worries bro but you know death's part of life and if you can't deal with it you might as well just quit being an X-Man and then suddenly um, Angel pops up but he's not wearing his current Angel uniform you know with the uh, with the red and the white on him with a little halo around his chest long flowing hair coming out of his mask and now he's not wearing that he's wearing his OG costume which is pretty interesting because that doesn't make any sense. That's kind of kind of weird, right? So, uh, Wolverine's pissed again because that's what Wolverine does every time he sees Angel. And then a fight ensues and the other original X-Men come through. And they're, uh, they're, this has to be before issue 100 because the other X-Men mentioned not seeing them since issue 94 when they all left. So, Nightcrawler's a little confused because Beast shows up, but he's not in this typical uh, furry blue form. He's back to the way he looked like he was in the Silver Age. Uh, hair, mostly hairless. I should probably be correcting myself. He has very hairy uh, hands and feet in the Silver Age for some reason, which I like the way Jack Kirby drew him, but that's just me. So, the X-Men begin fighting the old X-Men, and no one's really gaining an upper hand. They're kind of kicking each other's butts. They are getting some pretty uh, pretty good hits in. And Cyclops is uh, worried because um, he can't uh, he can't uh, really get the other old X-Men to calm down and stop fighting them. So Banshee screams into um, into Angel's ears. And it knocks Angel out, which is pretty funny, but not for long. It just come, it, here comes one of my favorite panels of all time. Angel gets back up, sees Cyclops, and then grabs him from behind and pulls back his optic blast and forces Cyclops to fire at his uh, his teammates. And this is pretty awesome just because uh, it's like he can't really close his eyes because the force is so strong. So he's just forced to keep on firing at his teammates and Colossus is like trying to like tank it but he, he definitely can't it's like 
people, a lot of people usually, uh, a lot of people usually mistake Cyclops' Octoblast as like lasers, where it's really just like, it's like feeling a punch from like the air. It, we just see it as red, so that way we can have like a, a visual for it, at least to me. And Cyclops finally gets um, Angel off of him. But he he begins to tell Angel that this is definitely not the Angel that I know. This has to be like an android or something. This can't be the real one. So the X-Men team up to uh, really crack down the OG ones. So Angel taunts him by saying that uh, none of you can really stop him. But then Professor Xavier comes out of nowhere and says, but he can't. And tells the X-Men to stop fighting. And he'll stop them. He'll destroy them. So suddenly, Professor Xavier becomes like a villain. Um, just not, uh, not even seconds after the old X-Men disappear. And it turns out this is a uh, an evil version of uh, Professor Xavier's psyche. It's a... Um, like all the all the evil he's hiding within himself but made manifest so the OG X-Men that the new X-Men were fighting were just constructs of their imagination just mental projections so they weren't really fighting really anything it was just all in their minds so as Wolverine tries to attack this uh, evil psyche professor Xavier that can walk and has like a you know, evil and Kate, he suddenly falls into a, a chasm. And Wolverine realizes that it was it was actually all fake. None none of it is real. Just like uh just like we found out uh, through Professor Xavier's uh actions and uh and words. So the X-Men suddenly realize, oh snap, this is uh this was all just uh almost like an illusion. So the X-Men then uh, break off their fight and Professor Xavier suddenly comes to and he wakes up and Fire Lord's gone. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much the issue, uh, which is kind of funny to me, but that, that, that was it. Professor, Professor Xavier wakes up and he begins to ponder to himself, uh, if he has a mental breakdown, like he has been in the last few months, uh, will he be hurting his fellow X-Men? What will happen to them? Will he continue to hurt those that he, he loves the most? All because he can't control his mental powers? So, the next issue is titled, uh, Where No X-Men Has Gone Before. Well, another Star Trek reference. I'm going to guess that Chris Claremont is a great big Star Trek fan. I, I know I definitely am, but so this, uh, this issue was this issue is essentially filler. Um, not much really goes on outside some funny moments with you know Iceman's funny dialogue and Angel you know boasting back to the old new X Men and stuff like that. But one could say this was the precursor to the X Men villain onslaught, who was if you guys know nineties uh, X Men, he was a great big villain. He was featured like everywhere. He's essentially the dark psyche Professor Xavier that we saw in this issue combined with uh, Magneto psyche main manifest into one big giant evil mutant with the um, with the powers of Professor Xavier and the powers of Magneto. So he was essentially OP and no mutant can really defeat him and it was a whole crossover. Uh, that story started off incredibly well and i don't think it ended well but that's neither here nor there this is this is to me is a precursor to that uh, onslaught was featured like everywhere it was like a one of the biggest x-men crossovers that you know was everywhere basically and he was featured in a bunch of video games some x-men fighting games the x-men versus street fighter stuff everything marvel's capcom 2 i think he was into i, th I think uh, so he was a pretty big character, and at the time, this was like this is pretty huge. It also implies that Professor Xavier has some really dark, deep stuff inside of his mind, like sick things, because he created the OG X Men to fight his new X Men for like 
seemingly no reason. So, um, as a kid, it's a pretty boring issue. As an adult, I can I mostly appreciate this issue just for the art alone. It's nice to get a change of pace from something that's not all Dave Crockrum. But at the same time, uh, he is sorely missed. Um, I love his art. You guys know this. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm a Dave Crockham fanboy. I am. Wholeheartedly. I mean, you guys know I'm, I'm all over Chris Claremont, but Dave Crockham, I could read his, sit and look at his art all day. I could read his stuff all day, look at his art all day, and just, I can talk about it a bunch. And um, what I uh, find so funny is that this issue, um, at least the way it's portrayed, at the end, Misty Knight and Jean Grey's parents aren't with Presser Xavier. So they just left him on the rooftop to have this nightmare and losing his mind right in the middle of the day. Like they, they left him there. Like at the end of the issue, it looks like it's nighttime. So they left a crippled man who's screaming in agony and having a day nightmare, a nightmare during the day, right? As he's awake. And they left him there. They didn't put him in a chair or something. They didn't take him back inside just to like lay down or anything or point bring him to a hospital. No, he's sitting right next to that portal. That to me is a travesty. That's probably my biggest thing with this issue. What the heck were they thinking? They they couldn't draw Missy Knight sitting next to him, so at least she was like watching him. They left a crippled man on the roof, like in the middle of New York. But that that that's just me. That's probably my one nitpick uh, with this issue. But you know, to each their own. If you guys don't mind a crippled uh, middle-aged man sitting on a New York City rooftop, yeah, that's on you guys. That's cool. But to me, that was. That was pretty. That was pretty crazy. So, um, uh, that is about wraps it up for the uh, this issue. Um, interesting issue to say the least. I like the last issue much more, but this issue is um, it's pretty great. Um, I've seen Iceman again was always always a plus because we don't really see Iceman during his era. And same thing with the Angel. They're on the Champions uh during the seventies, but that book didn't last too long, unfortunately. Uh, which um, my dad does own uh Champions number one and. That cover is fantastic, but, you know, the typical stuff. So, um, yeah, this issue is pretty great. It was all right. Let's be honest. It was all right. Uh, the, my, the best the part was uh, Wolverine bringing Thunderbird's uh, death and holding it right over Cyclops' head. But, you know, that's Wolverine kind of stuff. He's a bit of a jerk. He's like Vegeta, but in the 70s. So uh, that wrap, wraps it up for this issue. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then when I come back, we'll wrap up. Uh, today's episode and wow we might actually make it in under an hour so don't go anywhere guys uh let's uh wrap up this this uh podcast all right well we're back so that was uh uncanny x-men number 105 and 106 um pretty nice issues especially uh 105 i have a newfound appreciation for that particular comic uh 106 i'm, I'm still about the same on it but Good stuff overall. Uh, next week, Uncanny X Men are 107 and 108. 107 is the final issue of uh, that will feature uh, Dave Crockroom's art. Unfortunately, his pencils more specifically. Uh, from there on out, it's all John Byrne all the time. You guys know I love John Byrne. He's awesome. I think he was. Um, I think he was the perfect artist to take over the book. He had done some stuff on the Avengers beforehand or um, around the same time, actually. And he's great. He'll do some Fantastic Four. Um, basically, he touched almost every faucet of the Marvel Universe. Um, I'm not big on his Spider-Man, though. I think his Spider-Man's face looks way too round. However, there is a uh, Spider-Man cover that he did do that I really do like. It's a black and white cover. That might be Spectacular Spider-Man, though. That might not be the, the mainline ASM uh, book. But, nevertheless, it's all great stuff. And, yeah, it, it's just it's X-Men, guys. That's about it. That's all I really got for you guys. Um, although, some important notes to go over. Um, 
What I find most interesting about uh, X-Men is that up until this point, Uncanny X-Men has been bi-monthly, so it comes out every two months. It's not like a typical monthly comic book. Like, ASM comes out every month, right? So every month, it's just you just got to wait one month, another 30 days or whatever, you know, 25 or whatever the schedule may be, and then you just go ahead and you read your book and you're good to go. Unfortunately, Uncanny X-Men was not like that. The book wasn't um, wasn't always a bestseller, a big hit, you know. So it had a bi-monthly schedule, even though these um, these last, you know, 10 issues have been absolutely fantastic. You still had to wait two months just to find out what happened next, which really does suck. And, and this doesn't really suck for us because this doesn't, really, this doesn't really apply to us because we just, you know, we're good to go. Like We can just keep on binging it all day, every day. However, I like to think about how, like, you know, my grandpa had to read it or whatever. I don't think my grandpa read Uncanny X-Men, but maybe maybe he did. I don't know. But, yeah, like, two months. Every two months. That, that's pretty crazy. So, Uncanny X-Men doesn't really hit um, a monthly title until issue 111. And even then, it skips July. And then we get Uncanny X-Men number 113. And then it goes back to being a monthly title. So we we have a lot. There's a lot of work. And it's still a lot of time before the book becomes a monthly title where it hits, you know, that superstar status. You know, a lot of us, I mean, when we think of uh, we think of X-Men, the first thing we think of is like the Dark Phoenix saga, uh, for, at least for a lot of people, because that's. That's like the, the, the big X-Men story. That's like the X-Men story that defined all other X-Men stories. Just because of how like it was so grandiose and it was so it was so big that it was just pow. Like it's fantastic. It's it's like the quintessential X-Men story. And like trying to I know a lot of people have tried to adapt this uh, story to uh, the big screen, but it doesn't ever really work out that way or work out correctly, I should really say, but because it's like, there's so much buildup that happened in between these issues that we're going to be talking about that really make the Dark Phoenix Saga, like as awesome as it was. So just some stuff to keep in mind. Anyways, um, you guys can find me at, you guys already know, you guys can find me on Twitter can find me on instagram uh rick's uh, random ramblings uh at rick's random ramblings rather and also on twitter rick maldonado 97 you guys mostly find me um retweeting uh comic book art and other um like videos of uh other comic book artists drawing or whatever else have you usually a john busima video because i love watching that guy draw i can watch him draw all day every day one day we're definitely gonna have to do a, like a John Buscema, um, a John Buscema just like character study, just like talk about him like for like half an hour because that man's work is like top notch. So we'll definitely get around to him. We did touch upon him a little bit in this episode because he is a co-creator of Fire Lord. So technically, you know, we got ourselves a little little dose of John, John Buscema. You guys can also find uh, my website ricksrants.com. That's R I C. R A N T S dot com. There you guys can find my entire list of podcast episodes, uh, art that I've done, and my blog post that probably has no post yet because I'm doing a million things at once. One might say I bit off more than I can chew, but you know what? It's, it's all good, guys. It's all good. Um, what else? I, I think that's I think that's about it, actually. Oh, and you guys can also find my podcast, of course, on Apple Music. Um Apple Podcast, my bad, and uh, Spotify, and so much more. So that's all I really got for you guys today. It's pretty awesome. Look at that. We're at like an hour and not counting the theme music. So this is pretty awesome. I'm going to try to keep these nice, short, short and sweet, I say. But then again, we were going over a filler issue, so that's probably why we're under an hour. But nevertheless, uh, thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, next week, we're going over Uncanny X member 107 and 108. So I will see you guys then. Take care and uh, I'll see you guys next week.